a story that we somehow up until this point have managed to not talk about but will talk about right now was that guy who engraved his and his girlfriend's name into the Colosseum. Yeah, lots of Colosseum chat on the pod this week. Lots of Colosseum chat. So he has written a letter to explain himself mm-hmm. and his excuse for engraving his and his girlfriend's names into the Colosseum. He did not realise how old it was. He says he was embarrassed to learn how old the Colosseum was. Yeah, it's just like it's like my desk at school, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do the same, it's same, old building. same. Anyway, we better get to the show. Kia this is Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. We love setting records on this podcast, but not when they're indicative of the impending end of the world. The climate marker broken twice this week and what it tells us about the state of climate change. It's also 500 days since Russia invaded Ukraine. Bright and sunny Friday show wow, today. really kicking it off. And we are bang smack in the middle of the Ukrainian counteroffensive. So what does that actually mean for the war as it stands? Plus, we're talking threads. Not clothes, it's a new app. Could this be the new Twitter? And why does our tester want to delete it mere minutes after downloading it? And as always, it's Fun Fact Friday, so stand by for pub quiz ready facts served hot. Piping hot. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Emil, it's been a record-breaking week. Ah, yes, do tell. Well, you might not have noticed this from uh, freezing old Auckland, uh-huh. but Wednesday was the hottest day ever recorded, according to the US National Centres for Environmental Prediction. Right. That sounds like um, something that on the surface sounds great, but actually is really, 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 really bad. Yeah, so someone craving warmth sounds awesome, but it is very, very bleak. And what's even bleaker is that record was broken again 24 hours later. Oh, great. Now it's Thursday. The average global temperature was 17.18 degrees Celsius. And climate scientists reckon more records could tumble over the coming months. Which is wonderful. Great. Yeah. Just great news this is what all we, around. This is, this is what we love to hear. Yes. Uh, joining us now to chat a bit more about the implications of this is Lauren Vargo. Lauren's a glaciologist at Victoria University in Wellington. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, maybe we'll start with sort of the obvious question. Why is it so hot at the moment? Yeah, there's a few reasons. So the big one is just this long-term trend of temperatures increasing. So we know that temperatures have risen about 1.1 degrees since about 100 years ago, so on average. Um, So that's kind of this long-term thing that's going on. But on top of that, we have entered an El Nino year. And so in New Zealand, El Nino actually makes temperatures maybe a little bit cooler than usual, but globally it makes temperatures warmer than usual. Um, So on top of this long-term warming, we've also got maybe this spike, this extra spike because of El Nino. And then the Northern Hemisphere, where all the land, 
where there's lots of land that can heat up really quick is going into their summer. And so that's probably a little kind of a third thing adding to all of it. From a glaciologist's point of view, which is a very fun word to say, by the way, like, I mean, is this kind of the harbinger of, of doom, like the worst news imaginable? Yeah, like if this was a, if there was no long-term warming trend, we'd say, oh, something funky is going on. Like, not horrible news, but because there are all these, there's this trend of long-term warming, which has been going on for a long time, but is even accelerating. There's all these other signals that we know, um, like sea ice at low extents, carbon dioxide at record highs, having all that background information, yeah, it is, it's not great news. Because, uh, of course, the implications for glaciers here are melting and then rising sea levels. Exactly, yeah. Glaciers respond, especially in New Zealand, but around the world, pretty directly to changes in temperature. So as temperatures get warmer, glaciers melt even faster. And yeah, like you said, glaciers uh, so far are one of the biggest contributors. Glaciers melting are one of the biggest contributors to sea levels rising. And so, so there's lots of other, there are other smaller impacts, but that's kind of the one big one that we talk about as glaciers melt faster, that kind of uh, will contribute to sea level more rising more quickly. Lauren Vargo, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much. Stand by for an explanation of the new social media beast, which is Threads. We're going to give it a test run on your behalf. You can find us on TikTok or Insta if you want to get in touch. Remember, search for Newsable NZ. And if you want to go old school, send us an email, newsable at stuff.co.nz. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, remember, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It helps other people to find us. And our mums really like it too. It's been 500 days since Russian forces rolled into Ukraine and started a war which as yet shows no sign of ending anytime soon. Ukraine is in the midst of what's being labelled a counter-offensive, which to this particular outsider seems a bit odd because, you know, isn't the whole idea of fighting back against an invasion just a counter-offensive? Anyway, Jen Kirby is a journalist at Vox who's been covering the war extensively and she's with us now to explain. Hello, Jen. Thank you for having me. D- tell us a bit about what a counteroffensive actually is and how this is different to what Ukraine has been doing since the beginning of the war. Well, Ukraine has obviously done counteroffensives uh, before. Uh, their goal with counteroffensive is essentially to sort of take the fight, to go on the attack, essentially, and to try to reclaim and liberate territory that Russia has occupied. So we saw this last year. Um, you might remember in late summer, uh, Ukrainian forces expelled Russia from the area around Kharkiv, and then later were able to force Russia to retreat beyond the river, uh, the Dnipro River in the south in Kherson. And so we saw these counteroffensive successes last year. And then sort of winter set in and we had a bit of a, a lull and a more kind of attritional fighting, which has really characterized a huge part of this this war, you know, kind of on the whole. The sort of big movements have been rare, really. And so, you know, Russia launched its own offensive or counteroffensive um, in the winter this year and didn't have a ton of success. And 
basically the Ukrainian forces were sort of defending the territory and the front lines that they had in anticipation to go on the attack. And, and we knew that this was going to happen in part because Ukraine has to retake territory. Uh, they want to expel Russia. And so once they you know, were training and refreshing their troops, received this new advanced Western equipment, once the spring mud season kind of dissipated, we expected to see Ukraine basically start to try to take the fight to Russia to try to move past their fortifications and you know, hopefully uh, reclaim some territory and also, you know, have strategic wins, sort of be in the stronger position uh, than Russia. Because you wrote recently for Vox, whatever success looks like in the Ukrainian counteroffensive, it is unlikely to usher in the end of Russia's war, which isn't the greatest thing to think about. Doesn't sound great. It's not a glowing review, I guess, of Ukraine's counteroffensive. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, optimism around Ukraine has been very high, given what they've managed to do uh, in the past year and a half, and, and given the expectations of Russia's military. And so the expectations are really high that Ukraine will be able to achieve a strategic win here, not just potentially take back territory, but take back strategic areas that could potentially change the calculus for Russia and also, you know, end this in a better position, you know, retain support from the West, really be able to kind of prove that they um, can use this, this new equipment and the training and support. And we just don't know if that's going to happen yet. But even if it does, even if Ukraine meets all these expectations or succeeds expectations, the idea that they're A, going to expel Russia from every inch of its territory, including Crimea, just seems extraordinarily unlikely to do in one season. And then, of course, the wild card is Russia. And I think we don't know how this counteroffensive may change Putin's calculus, but uh, at least where, where we sit right now, it seems very unlikely that Russia is going to just accept defeat. You know, the, the, the expectation is that Putin thinks he can kind of wait this out. Ukraine is dependent on the West. And while Russia, of course, is facing constraints, but it's been remarkably resilient against sanctions. And Putin, you know, he is committed to this. The Russian public so far is committed to this. And so, of course, you know, Ukraine's goal is to sort of prove to Russia that this is costly for them. But we don't yet know if Russia will take that message, no matter how well Ukraine does uh, in this counteroffensive. Really interesting stuff. Jean Kirby from Vox, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Right. We're going to talk about something now called Threads. Let's establish what it is. I completely missed all of this, but apparently there's a new social media network that is essentially like Twitter. Yeah. It's Twitter by Facebook, is it? It's Zuck's take on Musk. (laughs) But I, I, it's launched. Completely missed yeah. the build-up to that. Completely missed the launch. But you know who didn't miss the launch? Who? Producer Jana. Yes, as the youngest, hippest person <laughs> on this team, I am all over this. Mm, mm. So is it a website? Is it an app? 
It's an app and yeah. it's horrible. I hate it. <laughs> okay. Tell us what you really think, Jono. <laughs> I downloaded it literally half an hour ago when we had the idea to do this segment and I already want to delete it. Somehow in downloading it, it has made me follow a bunch of accounts that I don't follow anywhere else on any other form of social media. So my timeline is just screaming at me with content that I don't want. And I don't know how to unfollow anyone. Even while we've been on this conversation, I've got 500 new threads. And so is it is it just like Twitter when it's, when it's as a thread, like a tweet? Yeah, so like you, you start a thread with a, like a post and that starts the thread. But it's just like a tweet and then a retweet or a reply or something. It's, that's what it calls a thread. Pictures, videos, stuff like that? Um, there are pictures, yes. Also a shit ton of advertising. Oh, there's a GIF. But I haven't found a video yet per se. No. Oh, I've accidentally logged in. No, no. Emo, don't do it. Save yourself. Throw your phone out the window. So producer Jono's ultimate uh, ultimate review is is a solid one-star review, it seems. Deletes mere minutes after downloading as well, I think would make it into the review. That is the summary of what I think. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. How are you feeling about this week's Fun Fact Friday, seeing as you missed last week? Um, so you sort of like, you can't quite remember how it goes? Or Well, I'm disappointed in Jono for letting the team down last week. But, mm. you know, I've, I've been on a decent streak lately, so so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good-ish, yeah. I suppose. You're good, okay. But, no, you know, good. pride goes before the fall. Uh, okay. Right, as the reigning and- champion, though, do you want to kick us off this week? Okay. This is a fun fact, but it's also a very funny story. So in 2013, a feral pig stole a pack of beers from an Aussie campsite, got drunk, and tried to fight a cow. That's my fact. Nice. It's kind of like real-life cocaine beer, except it's booze pig. Can I ask follow-ups on this one? Are you in a position to answer follow-ups? Let's let's give it a go. Okay. Was the beer? Did the beer? Did the pig drink the beer? It was. It was seen scrunching around in the cans. Okay. So it was like chomping on the can. So it was surely swallowing some of the liquid. Okay, and mm-hmm. and, and then it and then it fought the cow. Then it ransacked a few bins and uh-huh. then tried to take on a cow that was in the vicinity. Yeah. Operative word there being tried. Did the cow win, or was it it, it, it was a it was ruled a draw or a no contest? It's described as starting a fight mm-hmm. with the cow and then being chased by the cow. And then eventually at one point it went for a swim in the river at the campsite and then was later found under a tree asleep. (laughs) Uh, That's my fun fact. In 2013, a wild pig got pissed and started a fight with a cow in Western Australia. You're right. That's like cocaine beers PG rated prequel. My fun fact is um, actually, you know what? I'm going to ask you a qu- I'm going to put you on the spot here and and listeners can play at home as well. Um if I asked you who, who do you think is the highest grossing actor 
ever in the history of the world. So you, you combine all of the box office takings of all of the movies that they've ever been in. Is this movies? Yep. Whose filmography... Not, not TV. Not TV, just movies. Whose filmography has made the most money? And talk talk me through your your, your, your thought process here. I'm curious to see where it goes. I, 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 I don't know... What are some names that are coming to well, mind? Was I know that Robert Downey Jr. was at least at one point the highest paid actor of all time. It's a great shout. Robert Downey Jr. is up there. Robert Downey Jr. is, is in the top ten. But it's not Robert Downey Jr. Tom Cruise. Again, great shout. Yeah. I don't know. Keanu Reeves. Oh, Nick Cage. There you go. Final answer, Nick Cage. <laughs> Just for fun. It's um, the highest grossing actor of all time is Stan Lee. Oh. Who is the yeah. the head of Marvel Comics. And the reason is that Stan Lee has a cameo in, in every, every single film. one of the yeah. Marvel Comics movies. So films, Stan Lee has starred in 50 films. Yeah. They have collectively grossed $30 billion. Uh, so with an average of $612 million per film. Of course, he's only in them for like five seconds. Right, it is now in your hands. Head to our Instagram page to vote on your favourite fun fact. Um, drunk pigs fighting cows versus the highest grossing actor of all time. What a sentence that is. Uh, you can find us at NZ, and we will also announce the results of Fun Fact Friday on Instagram. Anyway, that's Newsable for today. I'm Will Donovan. And I'm Imogen Wells. Make sure you tune in uh, tomorrow for a fascinating episode all about polling, that little thing that we're going to see so much more of between now and the election. Should be a good little 101 for you. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.